Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. We've been taking two weeks to go through each of the values that are embedded within that mission statement. So we've been through family, we've been through transformation, and this is our second week on the word empower. So they're going to put a statement up there that you received in a booklet several weeks ago. We'll get it back out to you probably the week after Mother's Day. Uh, But specifically for the word empower, uh, this is what we wrote. Each person is designed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to have an eternal impact on those around them. Says we experience this empowerment by equipping the saints for ministry through biblical teaching, leadership training, and hands-on application. The results, the result is a supernatural lifestyle evidenced in salvations, healings, deliverance, love, compassion, and generosity. So our goal through this really is to create a culture of empowerment at Central Assembly of God so that every follower of Jesus that regularly attends here would actually know in the depths of their hearts that they were created to make a difference in this world. That they were created uh, for the Holy Spirit to not just dwell within them, but to actually empower them to change the world around them. There are so many Christians that believe they were designed to walk into a building for an hour or an hour and a half, or maybe if it's a good service, two hours, once a week, and then leave and go about your everyday life. That's not what we were designed to do. We weren't designed just to come into a building. We were actually designed to walk in power outside of this building. And it's not because you get paid to be a pastor. It's not because you have a title. It's not because of, uh, you, know, you have some special accolades. Every single person who calls themselves a Christian, who follows Jesus, is qualified to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in their world around them. Amen. That should, that should encourage us and excite us to know the Holy Spirit wants to and has actually designed you to be empowered by him. If we look through the Gospels, Jesus' life, he was obviously the, 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 um, the prime example, the, uh, the trophy piece of empowerment, you could say. Everything that he did empowered people. He could have done all the ministry himself But his entire life, these last three and a half years, I should say, of his ministry revolved around empowering these men and then the women who followed him to go and change the world when he went uh, to be with the Father. We're going to look through the book of Mark. We'll take two stops after that, but we're going to go through a lot of different scriptures. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, what I want to do is take a look at Peter's life. Now, he traveled with the disciples who were then early on. The 12 of them were called apostles, Uh, but I just want to just pinpoint Peter, some of the interactions that he had with Jesus and how Jesus interacted with Peter, how Jesus empowered Peter to live this supernatural life. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. You might have a different translation, so maybe there'll be a few words that are different as I read them. That'll be a good thing for you to highlight some words, circle some things, write in your Bible uh, if you do that, and take some notes in the, uh, in the margins. Now, what I want you to see is this. We're not going to go over every example today, but there are things specific to Peter's life that Jesus interacted with. So Jesus calls Peter to very specific tasks. 
We have to be able to tell the difference between what is specific to Peter and what can apply to everybody. Does that make sense? So some things Jesus is saying to Peter, it's for Peter's specific life, he was called to do it. If we would say, oh yeah, because Jesus said Peter can do that, we can do that too, or we're called to do this, that would be taking scripture out of context. So you wanna be very uh, aware of what would apply to all believers, and those are things that Jesus would have taught over and over again, things that we would have seen in the early church, in the book of Acts, in some of Paul's other writings, uh, through the epistles, and then what things were specific just to Peter. So starting in Mark chapter one, again, I'm just gonna hop through a lot of the book of Mark today, and just a few verses at a time here. Starting at verse 16, it says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Now, in other translations, or in, in other gospels, it would say Simon, who is also called Peter. Yeah, so when you see Simon, his name's also Peter. So we're talking about Peter here. So this is Simon Peter and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. So these men were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Verse 18 says, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Now this here, it might seem like something that's trivial. Oh yeah, come and follow me. But you have to understand something. This was a huge step of empowerment for Jesus. These men were not the ones who were schooled in the pharisaical law growing up and then you know, they, they, were, they were actually trained to follow a rabbi. These men were fishermen. So they had average jobs. They were unschooled, unlearned. I, I'm almost positive through, through my studies that these guys would have already have seen Jesus beginning to preach. They would have already have had interaction. They would have considered uh, his claims and they would have considered his teachings. So they probably had some interaction already. And now he says to follow me. But the response is, is this, they actually drop everything and follow him. So they're leaving behind their livelihood. They're leaving behind their jobs, their professions to actually go and follow him as the other youngsters of that day did to follow their rabbi. A lot of people refer to it as following in the dust of the rabbi. Maybe you've heard that phrase before where rabbis would teach uh, these, these young teenagers that have been, again, trained up in pharisaical law, Jewish law. They would follow them around. Jesus was empowering these men because he's saying, listen, you didn't receive the training that everybody else received. You don't have all of the education. Nobody else is believing in you, but I'm believing in you. Follow me and spend time with me. And surprisingly enough, they did. They saw enough about Jesus that they knew this man is something special and I'm going to follow him. And I believe that this is the first step of being empowered to live supernaturally is actually respond to Jesus, right? Peter responded to Jesus. He left what he was doing and he began to follow him. And Jesus may not be calling you to leave your profession, right? He might not be calling you to leave your school or to, to drop out of everything that you're doing. He very well may be calling you to make an eternal impact right where you are. But I can guarantee there's probably a few people in this room that aren't living out that question that I asked last week. If time, money, and resources weren't an issue, what would you do with the rest of your life to make a difference for God? If you're not answering that question you're not giving time for the Lord to really give you the answer to that, then God might be calling you out of your comfort zone. He might be calling you out of your profession or what you're doing uh, in your daily life, and he might be calling you to something greater. And that's, what, that's all we're interested in is we want a church family, a, a group of people here that call Central their home to be able to drop their highest priority if it's not Jesus and just spend time with him daily, to actually follow him daily. To not just follow him in word, to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I kind of do my own life, but I do go to church once a week. 
and I am, I, I, I call myself a Christian, I think I'm going to heaven, instead of actually following him every day, spending time so he can speak to you, correct you, and then continue to empower you to do what he wants you to do. If you actually think about it, it's, it's not really about attending church. It's about your attentiveness to the Holy Spirit when you're in places like this. It's not just attending your daily devotions. It's about your attentiveness to the Holy Spirit when you're reading God's word, when you're praying and having interaction with him. So we see Jesus in Mark chapter three, if you wanna just flip over probably a page, starting at verse 13, we read this last week. Jesus went up onto the mountain and he called out the ones he wanted to go with him. In another gospel, it says that he gathered his disciples, which means there were probably many of them at that time. And he, remember, he spent all night praying to the Lord and the Lord obviously told him 12 specific people to pick. And it says, then he appointed them, uh, tw- then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So Peter was one of these people. Peter was a disciple that chose to leave everything. And then later on, uh, Jesus actually called him out to be one of his apostles. How many of you know G- Peter couldn't have taken like a little tag that said like, I really wanna be one of the apostles, right? God actually had that calling for Peter's life. So this is the thing I want you to understand. To receive true empowerment from the Holy Spirit, we can't try to be somebody that we're not. We can't try to fake a ministry to try to, uh, you know, be famous like this person or popular like this person. Well, I want to speak because they can. Well, I want to sing because he can. Absolutely not. If the Lord has created you to spend time with the sick and just care for them through being a nurse or a doctor, then live in that zone, live in that anointing, live in that calling. If God's created you to build things with your hands, to fix cars, to work as a a, a laborer, then if you're trying to be someone that you're not, the anointing won't be there. So if you, what you're responsible for is stewarding what God has called you to do, who God has called you to be, and the empowerment will come. It's when we step out of the lane that God has us for, because we're trying to do something else, the empowerment won't be there. So what we want to do is this. Jesus' goal was is that the, uh, the apostles would spend time with him in order for him to send them out. So this is what we're going to try to do here. We're going to prayerfully consider what ministries can be designed to help us as a church family spend enough time with Jesus, spend enough time with each other to receive empowerment for the Holy Spirit for the purpose of sending us outside of these walls, back into your every they living. It continues in Mark chapter four and five. I won't read anything from those uh, chapters, but Jesus teaches on the four soils. Peter watches as Jesus delivers a man possessed by evil spirits. Jesus heals a woman from a bleeding issue. He raises a girl back to life. Like Peter has front row tickets to the best teaching in the world and the best miracles the earth had ever seen. And if you follow what Jesus was doing, he was teaching and demonstrating. He was teaching and demonstrating. He was teaching and demonstrating. And we will design ministries here in the future like that, that we're gonna train and then we'll go out into the streets and we'll share faith and we'll pray for people out in the public. We'll see God move outside the walls of this church. Does this make sense? So we wanna follow the, the, the pattern that, that Jesus 
taught. We don't want to just do fill in the blanks and then go home. We want to be able to go out in groups in the future as training, hands-on application, and get us outside of our comfort zone. So something interesting happens in the beginning of Mark chapter six. I never saw this before this week. I was just, obviously I've seen the verses before, but I've never seen this pattern take place here. Jesus is performing, you know, radical miracles, signs and wonders. And then out of nowhere, he gets hit in his own hometown with unbelief. So in Mark chapter six at verse three, he's teaching, he's ministering. It says, then they scoff. This is his own hometown. These are the people he grew up with. It says uh, later on in that verse, they were deeply offended and they refused to believe him. Why? Because they saw him as a carpenter's son growing up, right? Still sinless, but they saw him growing up. They saw him probably being silly and goofy. They could think, no way is this the Messiah. No way can he do these acts of power. It says later on in verse five, it says, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now you would think at this point, Peter and the other disciples would be like confused. They'd be like a little bit baffled, maybe discouraged. They probably would have appreciated if Jesus was like, okay guys, let's, let's come back off to the side. Let's not go out to minister for like a month. We're gonna regroup. I wanna assure you everything's gonna be okay. I know that this accusation's happening. I know that people don't believe us right now, but it's gonna be all right. And, and this is what I hadn't seen before, is right after the unbelief, right after the accusation, right after the scoffing, what does Jesus do? Very next verse, in verse seven, look what he does. He calls his 12 disciples together, Peter was there, and he began sending them out two by two. So like at this point, I would wanna be like really close to Jesus. Like just like keep us from harm. Like these, are they gonna throw, are they gonna stone us? Are they gonna beat us? Are they gonna, you know, push us off a cliff? He said, okay guys, listen, now that all this opposition has come, go, go ahead. And for me, I feel like that would be the exact opposite. But Jesus created an empowering culture. So what he was saying is this, even in the midst of opposition, just because people might oppose you in your life or in your job, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. In fact, oftentimes when opposition comes, it's the devil trying to stop what, he want, what God wants to bring forth. So you have to think about that. Just because conflict comes in your life doesn't mean like you're off track. It is an absolute good time to say, God, am I off track, right? If people are opposing or accusing or doing whatever, obviously go back to the Lord. And if you say, no, you're on track, then just take that as an attack from the devil trying to stop you from the great breakthrough that God has before you. Jesus knew this. He's like, listen, listen, guys, the devil's just trying to confuse us. He's trying to get us off focus. You two, you go, you two, you go out there. I'd be like, please come with me, Jesus. Like, you know, Peter put his foot in his mouth many times. Peter's not quoted here. I can only imagine some of the things Peter told Jesus at that point. Like, can I take you on a leash, please? So watch this, Jesus, teaching and demonstrating, teaching and demonstrating receives the biggest opposition of his life so far. People don't believe him. And then he says, I trust you enough. Go away from me, take nothing but what you're wearing and go minister. And he sent them on their first true outreach. And he sent them, it says, with authority. This word authority is basically delegated power. They didn't have the Holy Spirit poured out on them yet. So it was temporary delegated power from Jesus to go out into the streets and, and, and minister in his name. 
Now, how many of you know, in the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit in us, right? When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit upon you for the purpose of power. So that's right. He's resident in you now. It's not temporary. Jesus is with the Father. Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit among those who believe so that we can walk supernaturally every day of our life. Now, for us to create this type of empowering culture, we need to understand that people will oppose us at times. People might think you're crazy for the things that you believe. But as long as you operate with honor, respect, and love to the person, and we don't oppose people, we oppose the enemy who's trying to thwart our plans. As long as you operate with love and honor and respect, Jesus will continue to empower you with the, with the task that he has for you. Does this make sense? You guys Okay. You're quiet, kind of looking at me, you're confused, you're doing all right. All right, Matthew, Matt, uh, Mark chapter eight, let's go to the next one. Now this is Jesus and his disciples, they left for Galilee, went up to the village near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he said, who do the people say I am? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? So Peter, the one that we're following right now, he speaks up, you are the Messiah. And I love this. Peter, for as many times as he messed up, for as many times as he said silly things, he had clarity of who Jesus was. When other people believed different things about who Jesus was, Peter had clarity. I feel like that if we can do you one, uh, if we can develop one approach to ministry, that I think would be the most successful is if we can help Central's church family see Jesus clearly. Just see who he is clearly in scripture. See who he is when he's just telling you to do what he's calling you to do specifically. Again, I said it last week, the mission statement that's up there, we're not approaching this like as an organization where we want you all to come and serve us so we as an organization can fulfill that mission. We have big plans as a church and some of the things even Pastor Vicky was talking about in El Salvador, Washington Estates, and there's much, much more. But our primary focus, our primary goal has to be for the leadership of the church to serve you, the church body, to equip you for the work of the ministry so that as you're going about your everyday life, you are fulfilling that mission in your life. That's what an empowering culture would look like. That's what seeing clearly who Jesus is would look like. So follow this out. Peter, greatest answer. You are the Messiah. Two verses later, let's see. He was, Jesus was talking about being turned over to be killed three days later, raising back up. And what does Peter do? Peter takes him aside, knowing that he's the Messiah now. <laughs> Peter takes him aside and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Yeah. Peter reprimanded and rebuked Jesus. Good job. All right. In verse 33, it says, Jesus turned around. He looked at his disciples. Then he reprimanded Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. What this shows me is this. Somebody who spent time with Jesus and actually knows who Jesus is clearly, the Messiah, still messes up. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> Even if you see clearly Jesus right now, just two verses later in your life, you just might mess up. Now, I looked at the three instances, or the two other, one other instances, two total, that this happened in. And what I see is this. I see, it says here in both here, and I think it's in Matthew, where Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him and begins to reprimand him. 
In Matthew, it just says that, Pete, that Jesus spoke straight to Peter. And here it says that he turned to his disciples and then spoke to Peter. I actually don't think, I've heard it preached before. I, there's, there's not evidence, and I've looked in a lot of different resources. There's not evidence that he rebuked Peter loudly in front of everybody. Because it actually says he took him aside. Peter actually took Jesus aside. And I do believe that Jesus understood a concept of celebrating people in public and then correcting them in private. Like taking them aside as a group or as one-on-one and he would correct them. I think sometimes in the church, we kind of like have it backwards as we gossip about people in public and then we flatter them in private. And like that's not the way we should do things, right? So we, when we see God moving in someone's life, honor them for who they are in Christ and celebrate that in front of other people, right? And then if there's something wrong, then take them aside in private and then have conversations and have as many conversations as you need to until there's restoration and resolution here. See, I do believe it's how we respond in a church culture like this. It's how we respond when people mess up and when they make a mistake that's going to measure and determine how empowering of a culture we have. So if people are messing up and they're making mistakes, listen, we want to accomplish this mission. If the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that this mission is actually being accomplished, how many of you know broken people are going to come in here? Like that's what we're praying, right? Is that we're transformed. So as we're transformed by Jesus, we're going to go out and get other people who need transformed by Jesus. And how many of you know they're not gonna, might not get transformed the very first day and then, ha ha, arrived. How many of you have arrived? None of us. So people are going to come in broken, addicted, messed up. They're gonna find Jesus and guess what? They'll mess up again. And then when they hear about the prophetic and words of knowledge and and working in signs and wonders and praying for the sick, guess what? They're gonna try things and they're gonna miss it. And guess what? So will we. It's how we respond in those times. That's gonna determine, are we gonna be a religious culture that just wants everything nice and neat and no mistakes? Or do we want an empowering culture? For For some reason, Jesus, we could say put up with, apostles who argued like constantly, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit next to Jesus? Who's going to do this? We're going to do that. We're going to be here. Can I do this? Jesus, you're not allowed to die and raise again. And Jesus didn't just put up with that. He corrected it. He spoke truth and let them continue to come along with them. They did enough to disqualify themselves following Jesus, but he empowered them and kept them going. So if there's ever a time that we feel like, you know, with small groups or children's ministry, youth, or even here, that we need to correct something publicly, we will know that. Our leadership, though, is constantly shepherding people behind the scenes. So if you ever see something, hear something, we're like, what, you know, what's going on? Just trust me. We, we are hard at work shepherding, ministering, developing people. And I'm not talking just about our staff. I'm talking about our group leaders, children's ministry workers, elders, deacons. We're constantly with people, ministering with them, trying to lift them up. So Peter, so Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. That's a, like a really harsh rebuke. Follow this out. Next chapter, Mark 9. You would think Peter would be in the timeout seat for like weeks, right? <laughs> like a long time. If Jesus has to call, say, get away from you, Satan, while looking at your eyes, how many of you think you'd be in trouble? <laughs> and Peter gets invited up onto a high mountain in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And it was just Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And Jesus was transfigured. He was transformed 
right before their eyes. Peter got to experience one of the most amazing sights of Jesus on this earth. I would say just maybe days after missing it completely. That's what I love about this is Jesus continues. Jesus like, you messed up. Yeah, I had to rebuke you. Yeah, I had to correct you, but I believe in you. Come on, I wanna show you something. I wanna show you something. I was even just praying this past week, looking at this message like, God, what can we do at Central? What ministries can we develop? What approach do you have for us that people would have these types of encounters with Jesus? We don't have to conjure anything up or fake anything. We'd be able to spend time together, maybe in small groups, maybe in a training, a seminar, conference, church service. It doesn't matter to me. But what would it take in our lives to be able to host his presence so much that we would see Jesus in a way that Peter saw him? Dazzling white, shining. And we wanna do that. We wanna be sensitive to what the Lord wants to do here. So it goes on, it says here, his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Now, if we follow this out, Peter continues for the the following chapters, teaching, demonstrating, and empowering. If we skip all the way to Mark chapter 14, from nine all the way to 14. Now, this is Peter. Peter says, listen, I'll die for you, Jesus. There's no way I'm gonna deny you. Jesus gets arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter does what? Cuts off one of the soldier's ears. He's bold. He's big. And after this, Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's mistreated. And in verse 66, it says, Peter's in the courtyard. One of the servant girls who worked closely for the high priest came by. Noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him. Now, this is a girl here. uh, Just a young girl. Says, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Peter do? He denies it. Peter, called to be an apostle. Peter making bold claims about the Messiah. Peter seeing Jesus transfigured. Peter saying, I'll die for you. You'll never die. Peter being bold enough to cut. And just hours later, a young girl saying, you're with Jesus, and he denies it. And it goes on, he denies it again. He denies it a third time. Verse 72 says this, immediately the the rooster crowed a second time after Peter denied the third time. Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times that, you've even know, that you even know me. And Peter broke down and he wept. Now, I would say at this point, if you don't disqualify yourself in ministry, you would believe Jesus can disqualify you. You've denied even knowing me. But Jesus doesn't look at us by our problems. He looks at us by our potential. And Jesus already knew that he said, on this rock, Peter, you're called rock. On this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Jesus knew the calling that God had for Peter's life. He knew he was gonna die and he knew he was gonna be raised back to life and he knew that he was gonna reinstate Peter uh, just days later. This is one that's not in Mark. It'll just be on your screen because you can stay in Mark if you want to. In John chapter 21, Jesus shows up after his resurrection He performs a miracle. Peter's fishing again. Peter goes back to what he was doing before he started following Jesus in the first place. Peter didn't believe in himself, but Jesus still did because Jesus was that that perfect example of what it meant to be an empowering person who we want to model ourselves after to be an empowering church. So he asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. 
Peter said, you, lo- you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. I'm not going to go through it, but this question is not just, do you love me? It gets deeper and deeper and deeper each time that he asks. And a third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. <laughs> now Peter's feelings are hurt. Do we get like that sometimes too? Like, why are you challenging me, God? Why do you keep asking me these questions? Why do you keep showing me these things? Maybe we just haven't got it yet. Maybe he loves us enough. Maybe there's not anything that you can do that's bad enough that he's gonna give up on you. Maybe you've disqualified yourself over and over and over again. Maybe you think this is fake. Maybe you think that meeting here is just a religious obligation. Maybe there's a true power that Jesus wants to give you to live a supernatural life, like starting today at lunchtime and into tonight and tomorrow morning at your workplace and the next day in the community and the next day at Shop and Save or Walmart or wherever you go. And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I do believe a culture of empowerment and it's gonna take time for us to see people the way Jesus sees people. But a culture of empowerment will always see people toward their potential and not their problems. So at some point, we as a church family will have to be mature enough in the Lord to be able to take someone in the midst of their problems and not see them as a threat or a waste of time or a frustration and see them in their potential. And we see it happening already at church and we're, we're excited to give more and more testimonies as people come forth to, to share about how God has transformed their life. So we, we go into Mark chapter 16. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is basically giving a, the great commission here that parallels Matthew 28. Peter's reinstated now. So if you follow through Peter's life, ups and downs and ups and downs, uh, Jesus continued to empower him. And now this is his instruction to the uh, disciples. The apostles were there, the disciples, and of course, Peter. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages or other tongues, some of your translations say. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now in verse 19, it says the Lord Jesus had finished talking to them. They were taken up to heaven. and He sat down in a place of honor at God's right hand. And then in verse 20, it says the disciples went everywhere to preach. Now I do believe between verse 18 and then 19 and 20 is where Acts 1 and 2 would be inserted here. Remember, Mark is just telling a story here, but it absolutely had to happen because if you go over to Acts chapter 1 quickly with me, this is before Jesus was ascended. Peter would have been with them. He was eating with them. I like how it says in verse four of Acts chapter one, it says, once when he was eating with them, my uh, assumption is that it was at that breakfast that he reinstated Peter. Because then if you follow back with Mark, he tells them to go. He tells them the supernatural lifestyle he wants them to live. And then he ascends. So if you insert this conversation into that breakfast, it says he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. That I, as I told you, John baptized with water, right? John the Baptist dunking people under water. But he says, in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you go back when John is baptizing people in water and he sees Jesus walking at him, he says, I baptize you from the repentance of sins in water. But this man here, he will soon baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm about to ascend to the Father. I'm about to leave you, but wait in Jerusalem because soon you're not going to receive the water baptism. You will receive spirit baptism. Well, why did we have to wait until Jesus ascended? Well, John the Baptist says, what? I do the water baptizing. What does Jesus do? The spirit baptizing. So it wasn't until Jesus came and ascended to the Father that then the Father said, go ahead and pour out my promise. It was God's promise to us, believers in the new covenant. And it was Jesus. I pictured Jesus as a big old bucket of the Holy Spirit, just pouring it out with a big old smile on his face. And the purpose was power. In verse eight, it says it right here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is not a trivial uh, doctrine. This is not, I wouldn't even call it a Pentecostal doctrine. This is Bible. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah saying it. You're going to receive power. It's completely different experience than the Holy Spirit coming in you as a down payment or a deposit, Paul talks about, for you being his child. I've heard it once said before, that the Holy Spirit's in you for your benefit, to tell you you're a child of God, to be your counselor and your guide, but the Holy Spirit comes upon you for the benefit of others. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit coming in you when you say yes to Jesus and Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit for power. So we talk about being empowered. We talk about healing the sick. Jesus is raising the dead, casting out demons. And you might think those things are so crazy and out there. Maybe if we just start with this, Jesus, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Jesus, will you fill me with power? Maybe as he does that, your desire will grow to actually believe these things are possible with God. That, that sick coworker, that person that seems just to be tormented, you know, with depression, whatever it is, it's possible with God for him to use me to pray and minister with a person and them see freedom. In Acts chapter two, I'm not gonna take time to read it. We see the day of Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit is poured out. There's a specific sign that you don't see happen anywhere else in scripture. It actually says that what seems to be tongues of fire resting upon them. It was that, that howling wind like a, like a thunderstorm like a, or like a raging storm that came through. You don't see that happening time and time again. But what you see is the Holy Spirit being poured out and people are empowered. Now listen, this isn't just for Peter because there were 119, at least 119 other people with him. Read your scriptures. It says approximately 120 people. So you can't say, well, it's just Peter and he was an apostle, so this is special. No, this applies to everybody because Jesus even said, these signs shall follow those who what? Are named Peter? Those who are what? Apostles? Absolutely not. These signs shall follow those who believe. And not just believe in Jesus, but believe that Jesus has empowerment for each person. Believe that these things are actually possible through us, not because of us, but the one who works through us. So we see not just in Acts chapter two, we see in Acts chapter four, Peter was present and the Holy Spirit gets poured out again. And you see they're empowered again. Acts chapter eight, 
There is, uh, people get filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there's a sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer. He's a magician. He wants to buy this power. He saw something specific. Acts chapter 9, Paul gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales come off his eyes, and he spends some time, and then he goes off to preach. Acts chapter 10 happens again. Um, and in Acts, uh, uh, Acts chapter 10 is uh, Peter preaching in Cornelius' house, probably 100 or so people in a courthouse during a sermon. This would be a crazy service. During the preaching of God's word, it says everybody in that place was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. Y'all would probably walk out like, that was a crazy service. No, that's actually your Bible. I don't make this up. So Jesus, Jesus took specific and unique times to baptize people. And then Paul shows up in Acts chapter 19. He's like, hey, did you get baptized or, or have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? They're like, no, we don't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He's like, what baptism did you get? It was, it was John's. So they were baptized into repentance. So they baptized them in water again in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He lays his hands on them and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's retract to Paul just for a moment. You guys hanging in there? I won't read these verses, but I want you to see Peter, Peter, not, did I say Paul? Help me out. We watch Peter from being an unlearned, unschooled, unqualified fisherman. And then we just track his life of being taught by Jesus, watching the demonstrations of the kingdom of God show up in people's lives. And then we watch him see Jesus clearly. Messes up big time. Doesn't get put in the penalty box. Gets to see Jesus in dazzling white. Builds his confidence, builds his confidence, builds his confidence. I'll die for you, but denies him. But doesn't get kicked out of the group. Doesn't get, doesn't get demeaned. Doesn't get pushed down until you feel so dirty you can never get up again. But he gets reinstated. The Holy Spirit falls on Acts chapter two, in Acts chapter two, and who gets to preach the first sermon of the early church? Say Peter. Peter gathers a harvest of 3,000 people in one sermon. Come on. 3,000 people get baptized that day, go home soaking wet from an unlearned fisherman who spent enough time with Jesus to be empowered by him to be sent out. Acts chapter five, oh, in Acts chapter three, Peter heals a, a crippled beggar in the name of Jesus. He preaches in the temple, gets arrested, and he continues to preach when he's released. Acts chapter five, Peter's shadow heals the sick as he walks down the street. Acts chapter nine, you all think Jesus is the only one that raised people from the dead. Acts chapter nine, Peter raises a woman named Dorcas or Tabitha, look it up, she's called both. He raises her from the dead. Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches, I already shared this, in the home of Cornelius, where everybody that's present gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, Peter experiences a miraculous escape from prison. I want you to stand at this time. <clears throat> I want you to, to, to look here. Not every single, like maybe God doesn't have it in his will for you to miraculously escape from prison, right? Maybe that was specific to Peter. Does that make sense? Maybe some of these individual acts and assignments, maybe he'll never have you actually preach from a pulpit or preach to a courtyard of people. What threads throughout and throughout and throughout is that we are designed 
to live a supernatural lifestyle. We are designed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to make that note too. It's not church leadership that's empowering you. All we're doing is partnering with you and partnering with the Holy Spirit to do what He wants. Does that make sense? So when it says that, that the fivefold ministry, you know, and ministers of the gospel are supposed to equip the people, we're equipping you. We're helping you so that you can equip each other, right? We're all in this together, but we're not the one empowering you. We're asking Jesus to pour out his Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can accomplish what only God has for you to accomplish. So what I'm gonna ask is that our, our, our altar team can come forward at this time. And I'm just, we're just gonna spend a few moments here. And I just, as simple as this, is if you know in your life, you can come forward, altar team, it's very simple. If you know you simply want to walk in more power, not for your own recognition, not for your own title, you just want a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never actually have experienced Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit upon you. I'm not gonna get into the theology of it all today. I just want you to be able to come forward and receive prayer from somebody up here. They'll partner with you. Say, God, I need more boldness in my life. I have this issue. I have this, this person in my life right now that needs a touch from God and I want to walk in power. If you look throughout scripture, nine times out of 10, God doesn't just show up sovereignly and do something. He uses his church. Father, we do just pray uh, for just a fresh touch for every person in this room. Jesus, we uh, receive what you wanna do as truth for our lives. So we refuse to disqualify ourselves. We refuse to make excuses of why you wouldn't pour your Holy Spirit out on us. God, I pray that you would just remove any barriers. I pray that you'd remove any unforgiveness. I pray that you'd remove any fear. And I pray, God, that as we uh, spend time with you in our own private time, in our own prayer closet, God, that we will see just a fresh outpouring of your Spirit a fresh touch of God and a fresh empowering to live the life you want us to live. Father, we pray for your holy blessing to be upon each person as we go from here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.